I encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew 6. I like the way a friend of mine says it sometimes. Jesus is speaking. And He will be speaking in all of our reading today. So I ask you to listen closely. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. Or for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single cubit to his single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spend. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, say, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you see in reading the text how perfectly aligned verses 19 and 20 are? One talks about not storing up treasure on earth and the other storing up treasure in heaven. But every line in verse 19 has a contrasting line in verse 20. And the word store is actually the verb form treasure. 
And so you could legitimately translate it, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. But in verse 20, treasure up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why is it so much smarter to store up treasure in heaven? Well, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Do you remember in the epistle of James, in James chapter 5, James addressed some who were rich, who were mistreating the poor, and he said in James 5 and verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, in verse 3, and their rust has become a witness against you. Here these had their wealth eaten by moss. They had their gold and silver subject to trust. Don't store up for yourselves treasures upon earth because moth and rust can destroy them and thieves can break in and steal. I counted up outside of this path eight times that the New Testament makes an allusion to coming like a thief in the night. That was a constant concern, apparently, in that world, as it can be in ours. Don't treasure up, don't store up for yourselves riches on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up, treasure up, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They are not subject to decay. No moth nor rust can destroy. And thieves cannot break in and steal. And where your treasure is, we are told, your heart will be also. Now, I am no expert on banking in the ancient world. It is alluded to a couple of times In the Bible, it's alluded to once in Matthew. Look at Matthew 25 and verse 27. In Matthew 25, verse 27, when the wicked slave had dug a hole in the earth and hidden his talent there, Jesus said, then you ought to have put your money in the bank. And on my arrival, it would have received my money. I would have received my money back with interest. It's Matthew 27, verse 25. You remember in Matthew 13, in verse 44, when a person dug, he dug a place in a field and a person found a, a treasure, a great treasure hidden in a field and sold everything he had in order to get it. Now, I've met a few people in my life, and you probably have as well, just a few, that were keeping their money in a mattress, or keeping their money in some place like that, the very invention of banks is to put our money in a place where we believe it to be secure. So we take our money out of our mattress, out of the hole that we've dug in the ground, and we put it in the bank because nothing bad can happen But it's an effort 
had security. But as long as our riches are on earth, they are not secure. Whether it be through moth or rust or thieves or whatever it be, they're not secure. As one Jewish writer stated, my fathers put their treasures in places where they could reach them. I want to put my treasures in places they cannot be reached. Whatever we devote our money, our time, our energies to, that is where our treasure is. And the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And that's an interesting statement to me. Because there are times that the Bible emphasizes that if our heart is right, our use of what we have will be right. In 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul is encouraging giving to the poor Christians at Jerusalem, he said those at Macedonia gave above and beyond their ability because they first gave themselves to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then whatever they had was His. They gave themselves, and then they used properly what they had. But here, this passage goes about it from the other direction. This passage says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. What we invest our treasure in, what we invest our money and our time and our energy in, becomes a cause of greater concern to us. Because we have invested everything we have. I think in the proper scenario, this is an ever-growing spiral in a positive way. That is, our hearts are right, we give right. And as we give more and more of our money and time and energy, then our heart is more and more attracted to the things of God and away from the things of the world. Earth holds no treasures, but perish with using, however precious they be. But there's a country to which I am going. Heaven holds all. To me. How do we lay up treasures in heaven? You know, this passage doesn't specify how you do that. One, just look contextually at what's happened in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. Every time that we give in such a way, And pray in such a way. And fast in such a way. As to not attract attention to ourselves. But to direct our affections and devotion to God. Every time we do that. We take a step. In laying up treasure in heaven. But there's another mention of treasure in heaven. In the Gospel of Matthew. Look at Matthew 19. In an account that you're familiar with. In Matthew 19. 
A man came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good shall I what good things shall I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus said, Why are you asking me about what is good? He instructs him to keep the law. He says, all these I have kept from my youth. What am I still lacking? Verse 21 of Matthew 19. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Look at Luke, Luke chapter 12. Luke 12 is in a very real way parallel to Matthew 6. It's the closest parallel we have in Luke's gospel or in any of the synoptic gospels. To this part of the Sermon on the Mount. But listen to Luke 12 verses 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out in unfailing treasure in heaven. Where no moth comes near, nor, nor where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One more passage to look at right now in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6 in verses 17 through 19. Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. The book of Proverbs actually says that riches sometimes make wings and fly away in Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Not laying up treasures for ourselves upon earth, but laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Deals with not fixing our hope on the uncertainty of riches or of the things of this world, but fixing our hope on God, on God who is described in 1 Timothy 6, 17, as who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. Those rich in the present world, in verse 17, are called to be rich in good works, in verse 18. To be generous, to be ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Storing up for themselves The treasure of a good foundation. Do you have life insurance? Do you have insurance for what's going to happen to you after life? 
Are you preparing to meet your God? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy. And thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And where your heart is, your eye will be. In verse 22, your eye is the lamp of the body. So when your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What is the contrast between the clear eye and the bad eye? Or the good eye and the bad eye? What's the contrast right here? It could be that it's dealing with a single-party devotion to serve God. But it could tie to what already the text seems to be connected with. And that is our generosity to share what we have been given. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says in the New American Standard Bible, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. That's Proverbs 22 verse 9. Now, I read it from the New American Standard Bible. Do you know what the Hebrew says? He whose eye is good will be blessed. He whose eye is good. Now, I think it means generous. But isn't that interesting in light of this passage? If your eye is clear, if your eye is good, if you are generous... You will be blessed. But in verse 23, if your eye is bad or your eye is evil, this, these words are used together in Matthew 20 verse 15. Do you remember that context? We had it in our daily reading recently. Some laborers are hired very early in the morning to go out in the field. And they are promised a Daenerys. And they go out and they work at the field. And the owner of the vineyard goes back at the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour to hire people to work in the vineyard. At the end of the day, after they've all put in a day's work, he gathers those who who were worked in the vineyard to pay them, and he starts with those who had started last. And they are paid a denarius. When he gets to those who started working first... They think we're surely going to get more. We have borne the burden at the end of the day. But they get paid to Daenerys. And they question this. And the statement is made in Matthew 20 verse 15. This is what I've been building up to. 
Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious? Is your eye envious? Because I'm jealous. Now, how's your eyesight? Do you have a good eye? Or a bad eye? I'm speaking of that in the context of Matthew 6. No man can serve two masters. Because you're always going to love one more than another. A Jewish illustration was no man can straddle two horses at the same time. No man can serve two masters. Either he's going to love the one or hate the other, hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. Or some of your translations have the term mammon. Mammon was not always used positively, or excuse me, not always used negatively in Jewish literature. Sometimes we think of it that way because of Jesus' statement here uh, in uh, an Aramaic paraphrase of the Old Testament in Proverbs 3.9 where it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. It says, Honor the Lord from your mammon. So mammon can be used to honor God and to serve God. But here, you cannot serve God in mammon. Mammon or wealth is a good servant, but it is a bad master. It is a bad master. As a servant, it is good because we can do all kinds of good things with it. But as a master, it will bring us down to destruction. Now, understanding that we are seeking to lay up treasure in heaven. And we're not seeking to lay up treasure on earth. There are some conclusions that he draws from this. And he says, do not worry. You notice that phrase is repeated strongly in verse 25, in verse 31, in verse 34. Do not worry. And that word for worry is used a couple of other places in this context. It's used in verse 27. It's used in verse 28. But it's a word that continues to appear. Interestingly, that word is not always used negatively in the New Testament. When Paul talks about being concerned for the churches in 2 Corinthians 11, he uses the same expression. When Paul talks about the single person being concerned about the things of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 7, 32-34, he uses this word. But, But here he is talking about someone who is simply concerned for things of this world. Now, When you think of people concerned for things of this world, what do you think of? Do we generally fault the person who's poor, who is concerned about having enough to eat or drink? Jesus goes to the most Fundamental parts of life. What we eat, 
what we drink, what we wear. If those things are not to be objects of concern, then in a sense that Matthew 6 is warning against, what could be? We've already seen that Paul emphasizes he's concerned for the churches in this way. And we're concerned for the Lord in this way. But, and he uses illustrations from nature. It is interesting to see that biblical wise men appeal to nature to teach lessons. For example, if you want to teach about hard work, the book of Proverbs goes to the ant. In Proverbs chapter 6, go to the ant, O sluggard. So the Bible appeals to animals and to creation to teach lessons about God. And he said, look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. They don't do any of these things. Now, I don't think you have to be told that this is not encouraging laziness. This is not telling us that work is a bad thing. But this is telling us that birds have none of these benefits. They don't have the barns that the rich man had when he tore down his barns and built bigger barns, storing up his goods for many years. They don't have any of that. And yet, they still... They still have plenty to eat. And I want you to notice, the text just doesn't say they have plenty to eat. The text tells us of God through this event. The Bible says in verse 26 that it says your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. God's providence is shown in His care for even these birds. He says, are you not worth much more than they? Friend, we should encourage mistreatment or harsh treatment or cruelty to any creature. And sometimes people who have performed real acts of animal cruelty, it is a stepping stone to bigger and more horrible and unthinkable crimes. But at the same time, don't think that animal life equates with the value of human life. It doesn't. And if God would show that much concern for the lesser, if He would show that much concern for the birds that in spite of their inability to read or to sow, to sow, to reap, or to, or to harvest their crop into barns. God still cares for them. How much more you? How much more does our Heavenly Father care for you? And look at the flowers, or the grass, the field, or the lilies. And it's translated differently in some versions. We just can't be specific here. But he says, you look at them, they do not toil, they don't spin. And not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. 
Kings came from all over the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and to, to be in his presence and to see how he had arranged his servants. And, and they were awed by it. The Queen of Sheba said, the half was not told me in 1 Kings chapter 10. But the Bible tells us that this grass of field, which is so temporary, which is here for a moment, and tomorrow was used to heat their ovens, If he closed them so gloriously, how much more will he clothe you? It is one thing to speak these words. To you, to me, who if we have ever gone a day without food have done so voluntarily. Jesus speaks this to a group of people who may have owned little beside what they were wearing. And had no refrigerators to store food. And very little thought of what they could have tomorrow. But Jesus preaches to them the same message. What I am saying. If he could say these words to them. What would he say to us? And if we're not to worry. Again, not to worry. Doesn't mean it's not significant. Because Jesus taught us in Matthew 6 verse 10 to pray. Or Matthew 6 verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We pray for that. We pray for that. We take the request to God and we leave it there. But if we are not to be overly anxious about that, and God help us all with this. How about if you're going to lose your job? You see no source of income in the future. Doesn't that speak to this? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. The Gentiles are seeking these things. Every human being needs these things for survival. People who have no knowledge of God and no relationship with God, they are dependent upon these things. They are seeking what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and they're concerned about what they're going to wear. And God often provides them to those people even though they don't acknowledge him. Isn't that the point of Jesus' illustration about loving your enemies? Because God causes his reign to fall on the evil and the good and sends the sun on the just and the unjust. And God provides for them in Acts 14 and verse 17. He has he's filled your hearts with food and gladness. God provides for these 
whether they recognize him or not. But all the energy that the world puts in to securing their future here on earth, all the energy the world puts in to securing, to providing security here should be matched and more so by us seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. It is our greatest pursuit. It is our deepest longing. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come. Seek first his kingdom, kingdom, his reign, his rule, and his righteousness. All of you, but particularly younger people, will tell you something. There is nothing in your life, nothing that is more important than whether you're in a right relationship with God. Everything else can be put on the back burner before that. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Don't take any thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow will take thought of the things of itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. You know, verse 34 is not saying that we just live for the day like Paul condemns in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 32. When some said let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's, that's not what Paul's encouraging. The Paul is encouraging don't worry about tomorrow's problems before they get here. Each day has enough of its own. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to do. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. You just seek God. And God will give you what you need to eat. And what you need to drink. And what you need to wear. Now, that has certainly been my experience. That has been your experience, I trust. What about, as some people like to bring up, the fact that there have been some throughout history who have died for their faith in Jesus. And some even may have starved to death 
What about that? What about that? Look over at Matthew 8. Matthew 8, there's a centurion who has a servant that's sick, and he knows Jesus can heal him. This centurion who's Gentile. And he said, Lord, I'm a man under authority like you. And, and I know to just say the word. And, and, and I can say a word and, and people do it. And, and I know you can just say a word and my servant can be healed. I, I, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. Just, just say a word. And Jesus says to this Gentile, Matthew 8 verse 11. He said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will recline. And some of your versions have, and the New American Standard has in italics, at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the words at the table are not in the original text, but their, their addition may be completely understandable. Generally, they ate reclining. They would recline as they eat, ate. And this is a picture of salvation. And this is not just from here. It is several times in the Gospels. But there's a picture of salvation as a banquet. Sometimes you hear the term or may have read the term messianic banquet. A great banquet of all the saved, of all ages. When all of God's ears get home. They get to enjoy this great banquet and many will come from east and west and will sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These Gentiles are going to sit with these Jewish leaders at God's kingdom in salvation and enjoying those benefits. I don't know if that is a literal picture or if that is just a figurative picture. But those who have died Because of Christ. Those who have followed him. Maybe even because they didn't have enough to eat and drink. They will be satisfied. I don't suppose any of those in God's presence are saying that promise wasn't true. One of the things we tried to emphasize in our Tuesday night classroom song is even if it seems that these promises haven't come true in this world, that in light of the death and resurrection, we see that all these promises will be fulfilled. And my friend, may God help us to live this way, seeking Him, seeking His faith, and He will provide our needs. One more passage in Revelation 7, verse 17. The same kind of image in Revelation 7, 
start with verse 15. For this reason they are before the throne of God. These are people who have died in faith in Christ. They are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He sits on the throne, will spread His tabernacle over them. Revelation 7 verse 16 now. They will hunger no more, nor thirst any more. Nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of the water of life. Seek Him first. And all these things will be added. I want to tell you, as I get older, I find that some of the songs that we sang so frequently in church are so powerful when I grew up, so powerful, so meaningful. They challenge us and convict us and give us hope at the same time. Listen to these words. When the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall arise and the splendors immortal shall envelop the skies. When the angel of death shall no longer destroy and the dead shall awaken in the morning of joy. When the king shall appear in his beauty on high and shall summon his children to the courts of the sky, shall the calls of the Lord have been all your employ that your soul may be spotless in the morning of joy. Oh, the bliss of that morn when the saved ones we meet And the songs of the ransom, we each other, with the songs of the ransom, we each other shall greet, singing praise to the Lamb through eternity's years, with the path all forgotten, with its sorrows and tears. It's number 528 if you want to look at it sometime. That song challenges. Has the cause of the Lord been all your employ? That song gives us hope. There's nothing more important than you being in a right relationship with God. Nothing. If you know you're not, and you know you're guilty, and you know you need His forgiveness, believe that Jesus died and rose again. Turn from those sins. Why not come to be baptized as we stay in this life?